Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 175. Can you believe it? 175 podcasts, and we're on the way. This week, I'm talking to you about the church, and we have looked at a couple of aspects of the church. That is the spiritual aspect, which is the body, the building, the bride of Christ, which represents all believers everywhere, those who have been born into the wonderful family of God and those who have been baptized, immersed into, placed into the body of Christ, the spiritual body by the Holy Spirit of God. It's all spiritual. As I have said earlier, where it's really happening and the emphasis of the New Testament is not on that great body where it seems that's where we get caught up in in our own lives and ministry, and especially in a Western culture that is individualized, that doesn't want to commit to anyone or anything. We tend to dwell on the spiritual body of Christ rather than the local manifestation. The local manifestation is where the officers are. That's where the what we call the pastors and the deacons are. Now, I want to talk to you about those two offices in the next couple of podcasts, what they are and what they're not. And then we're going to talk about communion and we're going to talk about baptism. The two together preach the gospel of Jesus. That's why foot washing is not an ordinance. Now, an ordinance is something that is a rule, a command, a law, something that is laid down usually to be repeated over and over again. And the Lord only gave two ordinances. And the reason is the two together preach the gospel of Jesus. Foot washing has to do with servanthood, and that's wonderful, but that's not part of the gospel message, the substitutionary atonement, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we'll talk about that later this week as well. But today I want to talk to you about pastors and deacons. That is what we call pastors. And I want to ask you to get something where you can write this down. Now, some of you know these things, some of you don't, but I'm not taking anything for granted. There are only two offices in the local New Testament church, and that is an official capacity. You see, in order to be saved, there are no qualifications. As a matter of fact, if there is any qualification, it is that you have to be disqualified in order to be saved. In other words, Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. Jesus didn't come to call those who think they're already perfect. No, he came to save the ungodly. And so if you don't believe you're ungodly, you can't be saved. If you don't believe that you're a sinner in absolute need of the grace and salvation of God, then you are not a candidate for salvation. But if you have sinned, if you have failed, if you have come up short, if you are guilt-ridden and full of shame, you are a candidate for the grace of Almighty God. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He came and paid the penalty for your sins after living a perfect life, and he died to pay for your sins. They buried him, and he came out of the grave three days later, and he's alive today. And because he's alive today, you and I, not only 
only can be forgiven of our sins, but the righteousness that he earned, the righteousness he earned, doing everything the Father wanted him to do. He now places that obedience, his obedience, not ours, his obedience on our account. And so the old account is settled. All of our sins are paid for. And when God looks at Tony Crisp and his ledger, he sees the righteousness of his dear son. And so there are no qualifications for being saved. There are no qualifications for being called to preach. What I'm talking about is the call of God upon your life to salvation comes from him. From start to finish, he's the one that does it. All we do is participate with him. And so the call to salvation has no qualifications. The call to preach has no qualifications. And again, the only qualification, if there is any, is that you're not qualified. Who's qualified to preach the everlasting gospel of the Son of God? No one. But the Bible says if you're going to hold an office in the church, there are qualifications. You can read about those in the book of Titus or 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can see what God says about being an office holder as either a what we call a pastor, and I'll clarify that in just a moment, or a deacon. Those are the only two offices. The hierarchy of the Roman Catholic or Orthodox or Presbyterian or Assembly of God or whatever denomination you're talking about, there's no hierarchy. There are not three offices. There is one office, and there are three functions. The words are used interchangeably. And so let's get right into those. Let's go to the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter is not the founder of the church. The Lord Jesus is. The Apostle Peter is not the foundation of the church. Jesus and the apostles uh, are the foundation according to the Word of God, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And so Peter, who Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 16 as the rock, the movable rock, it can be a, not just a gravel, but a boulder, but it's not bedrock. Jesus is the bedrock. That's for another podcast. But Peter himself uh, was a office holder uh, as an apostle and also as an elder. First Peter chapter five. This is where I want to center in today. First Peter chapter five and verses one and following. Now the apostle Peter was an apostle. That was an office in the early church. There are no more apostles. I know some listening to this are part of denominations that have apostles and I'm sorry, friend, there are no more apostles. In Acts chapter 1, the qualifications are given for an apostle, and they're primarily two. One, that they had walked with and been with Jesus and knew of him from his baptism unto his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, nobody is that old. No one qualifies for that. There are no more apostles. The Bible says that when Peter, in Acts chapter 1, began to bring up about replacing Judas, then he said it has to be someone that has known Jesus from the baptism through the resurrection. That's number one. Number two, the qualification for the office of an apostle was someone who had personally witnessed Jesus and had seen him alive after his resurrection. Now, again, no one today, no one today has done that. You might have seen him and experienced him spiritually in your heart and in your mind. 
mind, but no one has seen Jesus die. I'm sorry, it's just not the case. The Apostle Paul, as we know, was the last one that was qualified to be an apostle, and he even himself said that he was of a special dispensation, a special stewardship, a special epoch was given unto him, and that is he was the gospel presenter to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles as one born out of due time. And so Peter said in chapter 5 and verse 1, he was writing to the elders who are among you. He said, I exhort you who am also a fellow elder. Peter said, I'm one of you, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also the partakers of the glory that will be revealed. And then he said, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's the Lord Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, many will say that there is the office of the elder, there is the office of the shepherd or the pastor, as we would call it, and then there is the office of the bishop or the overseer. But actually, those are not three offices. It is one office that is usually called an elder many times over than any other word. That same person is also called a shepherd, and that same person is also called an overseer. It's translated in the English Bibles many times, especially the King James Bishop. Those are not three offices. It's one office with the varying roles and assignments within that office. Now, look at what it says. Peter said, I am also a fellow elder. Now, the word elder is the word presbyteros. P-R-E-S-B-U-T-E-R-O-S, presbyteros. That's where we get the word Presbyterian. If you're a Presbyterian, you know that you are named for your church government. And that means that you are in a church that is ruled by elders, When you go to church, you don't vote on things. The elders make the decision. And so for that, they are called Presbyterians. So the word presbyteros is the word for elder. Now, elder comes right out of the Tanakh, out of the Old Testament. And it was part of the leadership assignment of the heads of the tribes in ancient Israel. It was usually someone who was filled with wisdom, someone who was older, not a novice, not someone that was new to the game of life. This was primarily having to do with leadership and authority. And so that is why the dominant word for what we call the office of a pastor in the West is indeed an elder. And so it has to do with leadership and authority. And then he says, these elders are to shepherd. Now, the word shepherd is what most would call a pastor. And the shepherd had a 
priority responsibility. Now, if I were to go in and have gone into churches all over the southern United States and the southwest and the southeast and in the Midwest, and here is what you will say. You will say, now, what is the number one responsibility of a shepherd? Almost without fail, people will say, care for the sheep. And that's exactly wrong. Now, you might care for the sheep, but the number one responsibility of any shepherd in ancient times or now is to find food for the sheep. You see, the word shepherd here, where we get our word pastor, is so associated with feeding that in the King James Version of the Bible, this verb is translated feed. Why? Because that's what the shepherd did. You see, what we have turned shepherds into is hospital chaplains and baby burpers and people who take care of funerals and they marry people. That's not the priority of the pastor. The priority of the pastor is to explain and expound the Word of God to his flock. And by the way, that's what will draw people in. Now, I know you need to care for people. You need to love on people. But that's the primary responsibility of the family, not the church. That's the primary responsibility of those who are closest to that person, and that is in the family. And if anyone is going to take care of those who are in the hospital and so forth, that would be the deacons because they have a particular assignment related to caring for people. But the number one responsibility of the elder, of the leader, of those who are in authority in the church, who are leading the church, is to teach the Word of God, is to explain the Word of God. And that's what you have them doing. Any church that's going to grow in America, not only in the past, but certainly in the future. It's not going to be mirrors and smoke and lights and singing because times are about to get rough. Any church that's going to grow and be more than an inch deep and a mile wide is going to have to center around the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And here's what I'm telling you. Pastor, if you will teach and preach the Word of God and explain the Word of God and give its meaning, the biblical, historical, contextual, geographical, and cultural meaning, I guarantee you people will not be able to wait to get back to church because it is being done so little around America. All you need to do is just do it halfway decent and people will come. But if you will hone your skills, God will send you a multitude because not much of it's being done. We're so interested in pleasing everybody and make sure everybody is liking us and with us and we've got consensus, stand up and say, thus says the Lord, and God will give you a following. Do you love people? Of course, we preach the truth in love. But what we need in our country today and what we need in our pulpits today is pastors that will teach and preach the word of God and will love the people, love the people enough to tell them the truth. What people need to hear is truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so he said, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as episkopos. Now the word shepherd is the word poimain. And it's usually used in the verb form, not the noun form, shepherd. But really it is based upon that aspect of the ministry is based upon what you do in feeding the flock. But the word overseer, 
here's the word episkopos. Now, what does that sound like? Just like presbyteros sounds like Presbyterian, episkopos is a compound word, epi, which is a preposition, which means over or above, but really when it's tied on to something, it usually intensifies whatever it is. It exponentially revs up whatever it's attached to. So a episkopos, it is attached to scopos, which is the word for look or see. You have a telos, scopos, that's something that looks way out in the distance. And you have a micros, scopos, that is something that looks at small things, a microscope, a telescope. We have scopes on our hunting rifles and all of these scopes we're familiar with has to do with sight and and, uh, seeing and, and looking. And so episcopos means give oversight. You see, what is a pastor to do? Where is his job description found was well, not found in the Constitution and bylaws unless it is written according to his job description. Let me tell you what God's job description is. You are a presbyteros. You are a poimane. You are a, an episcopos. An episcopos. Now, what does that mean? That means you are to lead with divine authority, depending upon the Word of God. Your authority doesn't come from your position. If you have to every week tell people you're the pastor, you're not the pastor. See, positional influence is not how we lead the flock of God. It's through personal influence by understanding, explaining, and reading the Word of God. When I was a 25 to 30-year-old man, the reason older men would listen to me is not because of my position, but because they believed I understood the Word of God and knew God. And when I preached the Word of God and did that under the unction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it gave me the authority to say, thus says the Lord. And even as a young man, I could lead older men, not based upon my own knowledge and experience, but based upon the everlasting truth of the Word of God. We are to feed the flock of God. We are to give general oversight to all the work of God. This is why in most churches you need a plurality of elders. Why? Because one man is not good at anything. One man is not gifted at everything. And this is why you need elders to come along beside that teaching elder, that ruling elder. And also, let me just say very quickly, that anything with two heads needs to be in a circus. And so uh, the buck is going to stop somewhere. There's no such thing as co-elders, co-pastors. I'll tell you, the person that preaches and teaches the Word of God, that's the person that the people will listen to. You can say, well, I'm a co-pastor. I'm equal this, that, and other. I tell you, in a room of equals, when men are in there, there's going to be somebody that's going to speak, and it'll be like the old commercial E.F. Hutton. Everybody will listen. And you can call yourself whatever you want to, but in Acts chapter 15, there was one man that made the final decision. Like it or not, this is the pattern of the New Testament. Because after Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, John, all of these great men had spoken at the great council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. There was one man that made a final ruling, and his name was James, the half-brother of Jesus. And I believe personally looked like him. I believe because he would have had the same structure, Jesus, and he had the same mother. They did not have the same father, of course. He probably talked like him, had mannerisms like him, but whatever the case was, he was a man 
man of God. And when he spoke, everybody listened. You read Acts 15 after all was said and done, and they were trying to form, quote, consensus, end quote. James said, I've listened to all of it, and here's what we're going to do. And the saying pleased the whole congregation and council that was there. All I'm saying to you is this. There is one office of leadership, and that is the eldership. That is the episkopos. That is the poimain. And so it is one office, and it is several functions. You can look at Acts chapter 20 and see the very same thing when Paul met the elders at the city of Miletus, the port city of Ephesus. When they came, he calls them elders, he calls them overseers, and he calls them shepherds, used interchangeably, not three offices, but one office with three functions. I hope this helps. Tomorrow I'm going to talk about deacons, and you really will want to listen to that. God bless you as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.